safer sex. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. Hi, I'm Heather from Sydney Sexual Health Centre. Welcome back to our podcast where we keep you up to date with all things sexual health. We're bringing you something a little different this time. We're talking about Dental Health Week, which takes place in the first full week of August each year. It's led by the Australian Dental Association, and it aims to educate Australians about the importance of looking after dental health. So why are we talking about Dental Health Week on a sexual health podcast? Well, taking care of your teeth is important for everyone, but for some people in our community, like people living with HIV, good dental health can be a little harder to maintain. While it's often said that the Australian medical system tends to treat dental health as separate and distinct from the rest of our healthcare, this doesn't really make sense. Having poor oral health can significantly affect a person's physical and emotional well-being. Comfort, well-being and self-esteem, all of these things rely on a healthy mouth more than most of us probably realise. And poor dental health can have a big impact on other health conditions, including on the body's ability to fight HIV. The theme of this year's Dental Health Week is Oral Health for Busy Lives. It's trying to get the message to everyone that it's possible to fit caring for teeth and gums into even busy or complicated lives. Teeth are often overlooked, but dental isn't an optional extra. It's a vital part of good health, especially for people living with HIV or other chronic health conditions. We spoke to Priyadi Priyaswan from Southeastern Sydney Local Health District's HIV and Related Programs Unit, and we also spoke to Dr. Helen Carey from Sydney Dental Hospital for this Dental Health Week episode of our podcast. Hi, my name is Priyadi Priyaswan. I work for the HIV and Related Programs Unit, or the HARP Unit, in Southeastern Sydney Local Health District. I'm one of the health promotion officers at the HARP Unit. So Priyadi, you've led a number of oral health programs with Southeastern Sydney Local Health District. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role and your work in this area? My role that relates directly to oral health programs in the area, in the district, is my involvement in the HIV Oral Health Promotion Working Group as one of the co-chairs. The HIV Oral Health Working Group is a team of health professionals and not-for-profit organisations in HIV and oral health in New South Wales. This working group has produced the Open Your Mouth resources. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with it, but uh, you could check this out uh, through the Albion Centre website. Those resources are uh, available there. And the set includes an Open Your Mouth booklet, a guide to maintaining a healthy mouth for people with HIV, Open Your Mouth, an, an assessment and referral tool for healthcare professionals working with people with HIV, Open Your Mouth poster promoting the availabilities of the booklet. The working group also ran various capacity building workshops and forums for people with HIV and healthcare professionals. Uh, the last uh, initiative that is actually an ongoing initiative is the four weeks online course for health healthcare professionals through the Alpine Centre. That's a really comprehensive package of programs and resources. 
Why is a healthy mouth and oral health care so important for people living with HIV? Uh, well, a healthy mouth can help people with HIV or for all of us to feel good, look good, enjoy their sex life, speak well and eat well. Despite effective antiretroviral therapy, RRT, reducing the incidence of AIDS-related oral conditions such as hyaluroplakia or Kaposi's sarcoma, oral health issues remain a concern for people with HIV. If you are positive, you are more likely to have health problems because you have compromised uh, immune system. Your mouth is one of the first places to show changes caused by the virus and medications used to manage HIV. Most HIV positive people experience changes. HIV can damage the saliva glands. Saliva is a fluid which uh, keeps your mouth moist, makes eating and speaking more uh, comfortable and reverse acid damage on your teeth. Dry mouth means you do not have protective layer of saliva over the teeth and gums. So obviously regular checkups with a dentist are vital to maintaining good dental health and that applies to everyone but we know that people living with HIV can sometimes be reluctant to engage with dental professionals due to having or hearing about experiences of stigma and discrimination. How can people get the most out of their relationship with their dentist if they're living with HIV? That's very true, that's very important uh, things to, to, to acknowledge. But firstly, I need to stress that a person with HIV is under no legal obligation to disclose their HIV status to a dentist or oral health therapist. Every practice employs universal infection control measures for each person. I think the person has to assess their own case individually though and act as they feel is best for themselves. People might not want to disclose their HIV status on the first visit as a new patient. In other words, when they had a better sense of who the dentist or oral health therapist was and felt he or she was a caring and open healthcare professional, they were more inclined to disclose. After a few visits, people may ask a little quite in question of, I would like to recommend a friend to see you as I think you are quite good and gentle. How would you feel about seeing a patient that is HIV positive? From a dental care provider's perspective, I understand that it is ideal to know all of the person's medical history before they get in the chair again. However, if the person knows they have a stable and undetectable viral load and a healthy T-cell count, there is almost no chance of any oral manifestations being evident from HIV. I would suggest advising people to shop and ask around. Your patients might have a friend who is also positive and has a good dentist. If there is a provider that is known to be accepting and non-judgmental, then they would be good to approach first. So that's some good advice there about advising people to look around for providers who may be more suitable to them. But are there specialised or subsidised dental services for people living with HIV in this area? And if there are, how do people access them? Yes, uh, there is for people with HIV who hold a health care or pension card and live in the South Eastern City Local Health District catchment area. The support is a provision of funding assistance 
up to $500 a year for dental work through private dentists, including dental assessment, regular six monthly checkups, scaling and cleaning, filings, extractions, and dentures. That does not include cosmetic uh, dentistry. So to access this, I think the best way to do it is to contact uh, the BGF, the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation, intake offices on 92838666 or 1-800-651-011. And then it is true that the health worker and client will be asked to complete a referral form. As a healthcare professionals, we can help prevent people with HIV from developing oral health issues. Oral health screening by healthcare professionals can increase dental visits, which has shown to be effective in reducing poor oral health in the population. Dr. Helen Carey from Sydney Dental Hospital is also on the oral health promotion working group mentioned by Priyadi. We spoke to her about the importance of good dental health for people living with HIV. Um, my name's Helen Carey and I trained in Sydney in Sydney um, uh, University and worked at the Sydney Dental Hospital at the beginning and now at the end of my career and I also work with the university. Um, I guess my first experience with HIV people was that I was a young dentist in the 1980s and we actually had the experience of actually being some of the people who first diagnosed lesions and sending people off for blood tests because the oral presentations um, occurred before sometimes the other manifestations would occur. So right from the very beginning I was I experienced that because as a young dentist I always like you to work in emergency clinics and see patients for the first time. So I saw a lot of walk-ups who sort of came in going, got this funny thing and then having to have an uncomfortable conversation about blood tests about that. So, as you've touched on and as we heard from Priyadi, people living with HIV can be more prone to some dental health conditions like dry mouth, gum infections, abscesses, ulcers and some fungal infections. Why exactly are these complications more prevalent in people living with HIV and can they be prevented? When, when people pick up the HIV virus, that's one, one of the first things that gets affected are the soft glands in your cheeks, which creates saliva. So in that time between just being infected and diagnosis and starting treatment, a lot of damage is already done to the saliva glands. They're particularly sort of sensitive to it. A lot of damage can happen. Some of the information that's in the literature comes from overseas, and I think in Australia we have quite a good record of, um, of encouraging people to get diagnosed and, and also funding and supporting people who are, who are diagnosed as well too. That doesn't happen in the rest of the world. So some of the literature makes it look a little bit more um, damaging than, than, than what we experience here, particularly in Sydney where it's, it's, there's just been a really active group of people in the community who've driven the resources to um, to diagnose and provide treatment. But that it still remains that damage gets done in that early diagnosis to the saliva glands. Um, and if you've got a dry mouth and you're going to be more prone to getting um, uh, ulcers, um, you're going to be more prone to getting uh, tooth decay, doesn't so much affect gum disease. Before we had um, really good antiretrovirals with simple routines of adherence. 
um, it was much more difficult for people to sort of keep their viral load down. Um, and so they would get a very aggressive forms of gum disease. We don't see that so much nowadays. But if we do see aggressive forms of gum disease or something more significant like non-Hodgkin's lymphomas or Kaposi sarcomas, that's a sign that the treatment is failing um, or, that's a, or that the patient's not being compliant, basically, as well, too. Um, the simpler the regimes have become with the, the, the more modern antiretrovirals, um, the easier it is for people to remain compliant. Um, I've, I've seen the whole gamut of things from um, from the very early days when there was sort of no treatment to complicated regimes where you know the, the, there was this tablet had to be taken at that time and in, followed by this amount of food and this sort of thing. So um, in Sydney we don't see quite so many of those those manifestations, but we do still see fungal infections as well too because the drugs themselves will have an effect on the body as well too, when we know that one of the things that even if someone is really compliant, they will have manifestations of normal ageing type sort of conditions um, that will manifest at an earlier age. And the thing is that we have people now who are living in the community, living normal pretty much lives, but they're also living normal lives in that they also get diabetes, they're also getting heart problems, they're also getting um, all of the other problems that you would get if you're moving into middle age and later middle age as well too. That combined with the antiretrovirals, their side effects and the long-term, even if the side effects are quite mild, the long-term attrition from that as well too. All of us will have um, a charming condition called immunosenescence in that you know our, none of our immune systems are designed to go forever. Sometimes the immune cells are not made so well or we don't make enough of them. But if you're already working with a compromised immune system, though added on to that, that exaggerates that. And that's why there's higher rates reported of things like diabetes and heart disease in, um, in people with HIV. The other picture in that is inflammation as well too and that's the big thing that we think is probably overwhelms almost everything else. So if you've got untreated disease which is related to inflammation, something like just ordinary gum disease, but if you've got an inflamed condition which you don't recognise because it's not particularly painful um, and you've got an, uh, a compromised immune system, even if it's been treated and managed, um, those little sort of disadvantages accumulate over time and the control then gets more and more difficult as well too. So it, it comes back to a lot of how do we prevent these things, how do we put the, make sure that that, 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 that accumulated um, burden of disease doesn't get overwhelming um, and it comes back to the simple thought, sort of things of monitoring and, and we're monitoring the things which we know we can have some effect on as well. So as you say, treatments for HIV have come a really long way mm. since the 1980s. Improved treatments have completely transformed outcomes for people living with HIV, mm. with the life expectancy for people who are diagnosed and start treatment today now approaching the life expectancy of the general population. Mm -hmm. 
This means people who have HIV can be expected to live longer, healthier lives, but it also means that long-term health concerns like dental health have become a much more relevant issue for this demographic. So what can people who are now looking at ageing with HIV expect? I think the thing is that we, we look at things like comorbidity, and even if the comorbidity is quite low for each thing, that for someone with um, uh, who does not have HIV um, infection but has a gum infection, we know that's going to raise their inflammatory background. If someone has a raised inflammatory background, they're more likely to have problems with heart disease, they're more likely to have problems with other, dis uh, other chronic diseases like diabetes and even uh, cancer. If someone has an impaired immune system, which changes again the, the inflammatory response um, and also reduces the, the speed with which you recover from any of those inflammatory type infections, that's going to accumulate over time. So it's, it's not something which happens early, but it happens uh, over a long period of time. Um, and it'll be very different in each individual as well too. So we then, you then need to look at what, if that's a possibility, how do we actually change the things that we, or monitor the things that we can change? Um, do we treat early disease more aggressively in somebody who has more risk factors? Okay, so if someone's got diabetes, we treat gum disease more aggressively than somebody who doesn't have uh, diabetes. I might say to someone, look, oh, I think this, this tooth we can't really get a good response from. It's going downhill. I can't get the control of infection under control because of various. It's gone too far when you first presented. Or it's just too the, the the lesion's too complex. It's just not going to respond. Um, we need to treat this more aggressively. We either need to do surgery or use antibiotics, or maybe we need to take the tooth out. But if the person presents with no problems at all, very healthy, and they go, really, it's not causing me any pain, I say, well, you can wait until it's painful and then take it out if you like. But, you know, if... But so if someone has HIV, do I put them in the watch and wait or do I put them in the aggressive category? We don't have a really good answer for that. So what advice would you give to dentists who want to give better care to people living with HIV? I think just treat them as, the, as their normal patients, okay? And if, if they're healthy, they're not showing any of the manifestations that, that, that um, are giving you a problem, they just go on the same sort of routine. There isn't some sort of set time for people to have checkups with a dentist. This whole thing about having six months came from an insurance company in the United States in the 1960s or something like that. So there's nothing magic about having a checkup every six months. Um, but probably, just like we would say with your doctor, you know, you shouldn't go more than a year without someone having a look because not all dental problems are going to be painful. A broken tooth, sure, that's painful. But as people age um, into their 20s at least, Beyond your, beyond your mid-twenties, you're not going to lose your teeth necessarily because of tooth decay or broken teeth. You're much more likely to lose your teeth because of gum disease, and that will develop very slowly, not painfully. You actually need someone to examine your mouth to make sure that, that you haven't got gum disease. But the, 
if someone actually is having symptoms like dry mouth, and we call that xerostomia, it's, it just means you know, uh, that the, the dentist can look in there and go, oh, yeah, you've got a, you've got a reasonable bit of saliva. But if the patient or the client goes, my mouth feels dry, I've got to take a water bottle with me, that's good enough for us to think, well, we need to make sure that you're coming back very regularly and we're checking you for tooth decay because that's the biggest risk with xerostomia. Are you getting ulcers, you know, coming back repeatedly and irritating you? Then we need to look at making sure that there's no sharp edges. Um, are they really ulcers or are they the beginnings of gum disease? We need to check and make sure that your gum disease isn't sort of rattling along and getting more aggressive than it needs to be. We need to keep that sort of treated at the early stage. That's not too different to how we would manage things for somebody who was not HIV positive. Um, it's the same thing. We will treat things symptomatically and we'll ramp up the frequency of monitoring, the frequency of treatment, the, 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 the types of treatment, depending on the patient's response, because not all people who are HIV positive will experience these sorts of manifestations. So something you've touched on a few times during this conversation is the idea of treating dental health as part of health, as yeah. part of the rest of the body. So clinicians working with people living with HIV clearly need to incorporate dental health into holistic care. What's the most important thing they can do to encourage their patients to improve and maintain their dental health? I guess one of the first things is that you can just ask them a few simple questions. You know, if you had, you know, where instead of just going, how are you feeling? You know, you're looking well, you're eating well, you know, um, not having night sweats. Are you having any pain in your mouth? Are you, have you got a dry mouth? You know, have you been to see the dentist recently in the last 12 months? The, so those simple questions which came out of that project of open your mouth as well too. Those sort of things, just at least address the mouth, um, not just the blood pressure, not just, you know, um, other things, but just thinking about the mouth being the portal to um, uh, good nutrition and good health and that it's not a separate part of the rest of the body. Um, and, and it's quite simple. I usually t I tell people, if, if you think you're confident with the way you brush your teeth, you just tell somebody else because that's a good start. If they've got some particular problems, then they certainly they need some professional help and they shouldn't be worried about them. Encourage them to ask their dentist questions. Encourage them to ask their dentist, huh, I keep getting this problem, what do, what, do you, what do you think I ought to do about it? They shouldn't just be passive when they go to the dentist. Um, they can ask questions as well too. Um, about how to look after themselves at home. Because for dental problems, as opposed to just oral problems generally in your mouth, uh, my, my position is to put the mouth back into health that somebody can maintain by themselves at home, um, as long as they do their homework. And I will help you learn how to do your homework in a simple way, something that's sustainable, that becomes part of your routine. Um, but um, there's nothing magic that we do. We can turn things around, but we can't sort of go around to someone's house and brush their teeth for them. You can find out more about the Open Your Mouth training program discussed in this podcast through the Albion Centre, which can be found at 
thealbioncentre.org.au. The program is self-paced and you can access it anywhere you have an internet connection. This Dental Health Week, we encourage everyone working with HIV-affected communities to think about dental health and promote it in your practice. Check out the links in this podcast episode's blurb to find out more. That's it from us this time. We've received a really good response to this series, so share the link around if you want to hear more of it.